B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas, it's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B marketing, the provocative truth. Uh, now, today, we're going to be talking around how data um, need, approves the need for creativity within B2B. I think this is going to be an extremely important conversation because it is a perennial challenge proving why we should invest in creativity and the importance of having data which actually quantifies that effect. But from my perspective, I think that almost the challenge when it comes to creativity within B2B is not just the proving it, but I think also actually comprehending it at both a conceptual and also an applied level. So to kick things off, I want to sort of give you a provocative truth and see how you respond to this. And that's that in addition to all of the difficulties proving the value of creativity, there is also a fundamental misunderstanding or a lack of understanding about what creativity actually is and how it can be transformative within B2B marketing. Is that something you agree with? I guess my answer to that is absolutely like there, there are a lot of times, let's just talk in B2B, creativity mm. and B2B. Um, there is this trend in B2B where we actually, in my mind, we're not creative enough and we're not very creative because we, we feel like there's this formula around, uh, around B2B that we have to look like all these other enterprises and sound like these other enterprises and do make our websites look the same and do all of these things that are, you know, kind of this enterprisey B2B look. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's so much opportunity uh, for creativity to be better understood and to be more effective by using it in in ways that we use it, like in consumer brands and and, and other ways that uh, that they're looking at it and understanding it. So, to me, yeah, there's there's misunderstanding of creativity. I think a lot of people are afraid of it. B two B is very you know buttoned up business, and there are a lot of people who feel like it's just too risky and crazy and and we shouldn't be doing things that are emotional and and provocative and we should just be doing things that are solid business and very numbers oriented which i'm sure maybe we'll get into kind of where i foresee the future mm. of of b2b going and and why we need to change it but we definitely are stuck in this um kind of total quality management era of the 90s where in in enterprise b2b it's like nope we just got to keep that machine going and keep that demand gen going. And eventually the numbers will work out for us and, and then we'll be successful. Yeah. So if we think about this idea of thought leadership needing to be memorable, which is one of the core sort of ideas of, of, of brand building, what do you think that thought leadership needs to look like in order to achieve that sort of effect? I'm interested in, in defining maybe sort of memorable, right? Because to yeah. me, and maybe it's just semantics, but to me, it needs to, it, it actually needs to be useful. So, mm -hmm. so, you know, memorable, if something's useful, you're probably going to remember it, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's memorable because it's helped you, mm -hmm. you know, it's helped you in what you're trying to do. So I think it, it needs to be memorable, but the reason it's memorable, I would say is because it's insightful or useful. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, I think, uh, ultimately that that needs to needs to play out um sorry and i forgot i've lost the question thread what was the other part of the question beyond memorable uh well i think it's actually like what, what, what for in order for it to be uh, to achieve, make 
that sort of memory state, which is what we kind of want to get a brand to. What does thought leadership need to be? And I think you've, you've rightly identified about the sort of, there needs to be that sort of usefulness and insightfulness to it. But are there any other dimensions that you feel are important if you're going to get to that state where you do have that mental availability that you're creating rather than it being more of a transactional, I have a particular problem, right? You've given me an answer. I move on. Yeah, I mean, I think the way I looked at it previously, and I've worked with, you know, super smart people, you know, from mm. a sort of technical perspective who, are, who just have brilliant insight into the market and, and experience. And I do think it is ultimately, you know, something stands out by the fact that, you know, it actually makes an impact on what you're doing and what you, mm -hmm. you need to go and do. And so if you can package up that insight in such a way that it, you know, is understandable, that it is uh, something people can then potentially share as well, and therefore they get they get some sort of um, associated mm -hmm. value from that. I think it has to be that you have to put it in such a way that people a understand it, b can then take what you've 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 helped them with, which will either help them solve a problem, help them do their job better, help them find a better solution, and you know, and it's adding value. So to me, it's kind of like it stands out by you know that value exchange. People have potentially given you their details to download something or maybe mm. not if it's ungated, but or their time, you know, they're, they're always giving their time. If they're engaging with your content, they're giving you time. What's the value they're getting from that exchange? Yeah. And if you can give them some meaningful insight, uh, package up in the right way and position in the right way, then you get that, you know, you get that standout because people, to your point, you know, people will remember it. Um, and, you know, find it of use. So I think that's that's a key element within it um, to make you really stand out from what is, you know, like I said, a really noisy kind of a noisy environment with more and more people trying to do what they consider thought leadership, hundreds of webinars, tons of white papers, tons of blog posts, mm. all that sort of um, general noise that, that people are being being exposed to. Yeah, yeah. I and so in terms of shaping that that new philosophy, and I think that you've you've almost given some you know, beautiful <laughs> contrasts there, uh, you know, an ABM approach versus a channel partner approach. Then you've talked around sort of like having a much more sort of inbound marketing approach versus an outbound marketing approach. Um, when you have those sort of polarities that exist and clearly it can't be one at the expense of the other, and there does need to be that sort of at least interaction between the two. What's the process you go through in terms of understanding what is going to be most appropriate? And then I suppose goal setting um, so people can actually be working towards that same direction. So the first, you know, my first instinctive response is you've got to really deeply understand each of those motions, particularly the ones mm. you've not worked with before. And I'm preaching to myself here because even though that would be my first instinct, I think in every circumstance, I still have not spent long enough getting under the skin of the business that I'm walking into or the business we've acquired mm. and their way of doing things. It's, you know, it's very easy to look at some of the data in HubSpot or look, look at some of the data in Salesforce and speak to a couple of the people in marketing and feel you've got a handle on it. But usually there's, there's years of experiments and things that have and haven't worked that's in people's minds that's outside of any documentation, outside of any, any core operating system. So absolutely, you've got to, you've got to understand. The second thing is that, as we said, if you're now building a more complicated go-to-market with multiple products, probably serving multiple you know, ideal customer pro profiles, there's a need for yourself and for your entire team to understand the new economic engine of your business. 
So if we take Paddle, you know, as a payments platform, we take a percentage take rate of all the underlying software revenue that we're helping process. So that's a usage-based price. It's a percentage of underlying revenue. There's no ongoing SaaS license fee. That's one model. And then we've got our price intelligently team that effectively are charging an annual sprint for what is human services, very different margin profile to the payments business. And then we've got a pure software business in Retain, um, which is charging a SaaS license fee that's paper performance. And then we've got a free service, a free product called Metrics that has 30,000 customers using it, but we don't make a cent off them. So the first thing you've got to do after understanding these different go-to-markets is to help teach the team their importance in our business model, in our economic engine going forwards. Mm. Um, and that's a process of relearning it ourselves. And also, it's a company strategy question. Where do all these pieces play in where we want to go in the future? Where can we sell them together? Where do they have different target customers? Where is it a, a process of land and expand to get somewhere? And where do we see the, the real prize in two, three, four, five years mm. is that we have to build towards? And I think it's interesting that you mentioned there in terms of the relationship with actual more macro sort of like business strategy. Uh, do, do you feel that you've been able to take the opportunity that M&A creates for actually marketing to take a more active role in shaping that business direction and also that, that business strategy? I think it's Ben Horowitz that says the company's story is the company's strategy. Um, and I think that's one of the key roles of marketing in this mm. complexity, the chaos that comes after M&A. So absolutely, I believe marketing should have a seat at the table in discussing and determining mm. what that strategy is. But probably the even more important role is that marketing should be giving that as a tool to the organization, to the customer base, to the market, the story of where we're going. So if we just back and look at a couple of those examples again, when IDEO was acquired by EpiServer, EpiServer was this very staid, very robust Swedish-based .NET CMS that wanted a best-of-breed content analytics and personalization provider because it knew that its personalization, content personalization capabilities weren't up to speed. So there's a story we could tell very easily mm -hmm. there um, about bringing this you know, very robust toolkit into a more modern world. Then when we acquired Optimizely, Optimizely a fantastic leader in experimentation and multivariate testing and A-B testing. And so there was a story we could tell there about how it doesn't matter how good your commerce cloud is or your content cloud is, but actually experimentation is the heartbeat of change. And if we're in an economy in a market that survives on being resilient to change, then experimentation has to be the heart of your content engine, of your commerce engine. Um, and so those are just two examples of, of stories you've helped play out. And with the Paddle and ProfitWell, example, you know, there were almost no capability overlaps in the acquisition. So it's very synergistic from a product perspective. But we had a very similar philosophy, which is that we don't want to just build better software for SaaS founders. We want to take away the problem that they're actually trying to solve with that software. So we call that just do it for you. So with Paddle and with several of the Profit World products, this doesn't just help you have a better report to do something yourself. It takes away the problem out of your organization. And so we had this thesis that we could help SaaS founders automatically grow and scale their businesses using our suite of tools. And we're playing that out in the market as well now. So I do believe marketing's most important role post M&A is to cast and recast and recast that compelling story that unifies the team and also the customer bases that are probably disparate from the acquisition. And in
And, and I, I completely agree in terms of the current economic climate is really, and I'm witnessing, I'm almost surprised by the levels here, forcing um, brands into very short-term activation-focused yeah. thinking. Um, so it takes a bit of bravery, actually, to say, well, no, we are not setting ourselves up for even midterm, let alone long-term mm -hmm. success by taking this this approach. Um, so in terms of sort of taking that step, having that sort of slightly more holistic thinking, thinking about the customer experience and how that can contribute to renewal, who do you think within the organization is the right person to be that slightly defiant character and lead the sort of the change towards a more customer experience focused approach? It does start from the top down, right? So I think CEOs are under immense pressure, but, you know, short term gains may not have long term benefits. So and I appreciate the, the pressure people are feeling right now. Mm. So I think it, it does need to be influenced from a CEO philosophy to say, you know what, we need to do the right kind of business. And there are people that just shouldn't be your customer. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think enough B2B companies, as, as you started off in, in the initial opening, there is a finite set. But even within that, there are people that just, for whatever reason, your, your software isn't going to be a fit for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, you know, a right way to do business driven from the top down the way you described it, you know, it naturally would lead people to say customer success, you know, that function should really be the one that is that voice of customer is the champion for the customer. But again, when you think about the customer experience, even the language that you use in an onboarding email or the language you use in the UI of a product, it needs to be understood and accessible and i don't i don't mean accessible like in a, a handicap mm. way but of course there is that mm. as well but i mean accessible from do you understand what i'm trying to do with your software right mm -hmm. so um i would say that organizationally speaking customer success is probably the most suited to really drive that you know sort of retention mentality if you will but again it's it it could be siloed from, you know, your uh, other functions, your your product mm. team, your engineering team, your marketing. You know, everybody. It, that's why everybody in the organization needs to rally around it. Yeah, I mean, what's... absolutely. And I think that I'm I'm interested just to almost talk about this. It sometimes is a, is a tension because a brand and certainly a brand's values, but brand just more generally, there has to be that authenticity to it. It has to be reflective, as you, I think, said, of the DNA of the organization. But equally, you spoke about how it needs to be sort of future-proofed and therefore there is almost a little bit of aspirational change which needs to be incorporated with, within that. You know, from your experience, like how how much aspiration should brands be putting into that sort of new brand identity, given what you said about making sure that you re retain a sort of a sincerity to um, your brand position? So I think the, the start, you know, you have to look both externally and internally when you're thinking about how far you can, you can sort of mm. push that spectrum of where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow. Um, the thing that I found fascinating since joining Kantar Public is essentially we exist um, to deliver better outcomes for society, citizens mm. around the world. And actually, if you look at 
the way in which our world is changing, the incredible number of different dynamics and factors that are coming in, um, and particularly when you look across you know, generations, what will the, you know, the youngest people in our world today need in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years? Mm. And essentially public policy is government strategy for changing the world. So our brand needs to reflect those generational shifts that will be coming and ensure that we, we keep pace with that. So I think the starting point was already a very, very big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people genuinely come to work at Cantar Public because they believe deeply in doing work that is going to deliver a positive societal outcome. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I think I felt even more responsibility in my role as CMO to really get to the heart of that and nurture what is what is so fundamentally important. But I think you've always got that balance between being able to to see that big picture, but also working really closely with your internal people and teams, because if you stretch it too far, they can't recognize themselves Mm. in it. Only some parts of the business will recognize themselves in it. So I think it's about being able to, to develop the narrative over a period of time, which keeps looking ahead, but ensures you've always got your arms around the people who may not feel so comfortable with change or, you know, might have, you know, need more sort of critical analysis to, to really understand it and make something their own. We are probably all familiar as just general citizens of our respective countries that the conversation around AI is both exciting, but also frightening. Um, here in the UK, just as recently as last week, for instance, we had news from British Telecoms, who a major telco here in the UK, um, not just of infrastructure, but also of media as well. They're aiming to replace 10,000 jobs by AI, uh, through AI by 2030. These are all really, really scary things. And I think that there is a bit of a temptation to always think, well, my particular industry, we're different. We're insulated from that in some some way. But then when I think that we acknowledge that recently an AI generated image managed to dupe um, the judging panel of the Sony World Photography Awards, that was Boris um, Elgerson, who I think is a, a compatriot of you, um, Uva. Um, and, you know, we're seeing in America at the moment and actually in the UK as well, um, the Writers Guild going on strike because they are threatened by the lack of regulation around AI. I think that within the marketing, and the creative community, we actually need to sit up and listen and try and sort of, I suppose, acknowledge that, yes, this is exciting this, but we are facing some disruption. And I think that unless we wake up and smell the coffee to sort of use a hackneyed phrase, we're going to be in trouble. Is that something that you, you agree with? Absolutely. I think I think first before we start this conversation, I think we need to define what AI is, right? So yeah. I think AI tools can analyze massive amounts of data, identify patterns and predict future trends. So they are really good in this, much better than human beings uh, mm-hmm. um, are. Uh, so that's what AI is, because some people think AI is a little bit more than that. But at the moment, this is really it. So when you use a large language model like ChatGPT, it's not distilling any new insights. What it does is predicts the next word, 
right? So that's something that we need to need to understand, not to think that these are conscious machines that can develop new insights or so on. They can't, but they can develop, they can identify patterns that can help us to mm. work more efficiently. That's one thing. So I think that um, there's, a, there's a saying that was, cra- that was um, uh, crafted a few weeks or months ago is um, you will not be replaced by AI. You will be replaced by a person that uses AI. And I think that's very true. So the way that uh, when it comes to creativity, I think that uh, companies should or companies, individuals uh, and companies should use AI at the moment already, right? If you're not using it, if you're not experimenting with it right now, you're really missing out on opportunities. On on a personal level, I use it as a virtual assistant. So when I want to craft emails or I don't do it myself, but if I had a team right now that would work, would craft email campaigns, I would use ChatGPT or BART, whatever your the tool is you're using for creating a template or creating some some kind of uh, yeah kind of a template for an email campaign, and then you can working with a with a LLM, you can then actually make it much more targeted, uh, make it more uh, working for the especially in B two B marketing. It's very important. B two C is often going to the masses, B2B is really going to uh, smaller audiences and you can craft your message based on um, the way you you kind of work with or prompt uh, the LLM model. So I think uh, in general, this is the way we can use it right now, which goes back to the message, so how scary is it? Um, I think that um, we don't know yet. Right, like uh, one example is if I read a book, um, I uh, I will digest the information of this book. If a, a language, a large language model reads a book, all the network it's connected with read that book. Right, so the learning within those LLMs and uh, also visual AI is exponential. It's not human based, so we don't know yet how far this will go. What we know right now is that it can help you, uh, A, in content generation and personalization. Uh, it can help help you in generating innovative ideas and creative concepts. Uh, and it can also support specifically creative, but also media staff, you know, people that work with numbers a lot, to automate repetitive and mundane tasks. So it, it can be very helpful to you, uh, but on the scary end, and we can we can also look we should also look at the part that what AI can do at the moment and might mm-hmm. never be able to do. But on the if let's I give you an example. If I have an in-house marketing department with four copywriters and um, one content director, let's say that's a very typical setup for a medium-sized mm-hmm. company. Um, I would consider as a CMO replacing one or two uh, copywriters, uh, not replacing them. I would lean towards saying, can we use two copywriters with uh, support of the virtual assistant of ChatGPT, let's say, to then uh, create content that normally like a junior copywriter, when you go to them, you need to craft a drip campaign 
five emails targeting this audience and so on. They take a while to get started, right? It's I can, but I can go to an LLM model right now. And within a few seconds, I got a template, what to do. And then I can use a, con a senior copywriter and the content director to make it more human, to make it better. Uh, to, but the first draft is there. And the people that normally did the first draft, they are possibly replaceable. I would definitely yeah. experiment with this. And in this current economic environment where everybody's looking for savings, I think that's definitely an option that many companies are looking at right now. Yeah. I'd be interested whether you have a, an answer for this. And look, it could come from something you've seen within social media. It could actually just come from the fact that you've had conversations with your CEO, you've had conversations with your chief revenue officer or whatever it is. Now, clearly they will often have different perspectives to a marketer around what should be a focus and how you should do something. Can you think of anything which you have come across, which is a perspective from a different function that has just really surprised you, but actually has been really, really useful for you when you actually went to try and challenge, sorry, to tackle a problem? Very interesting question. Yeah, I think um, what I like a lot is the sales angle, to be honest. I think mm. there is a, there is always a lot of things to be said, of course, about the opinion of a sales individual or about, um, on, on the marketing team. And, and some of them I, I agree on, but there's also a lot of interesting perspectives, I would say, yeah. on what a sales individual actually um, um, can say about a marketing team. And it inspired me a lot, I would say, on on how we could do things. And I think one of those examples, as you're asking for an example, is, uh, for example, the book, Things They Don't Tell You, a very interesting book um, where they are actually looking at content strategies. I think content strategies is one of those topics. Mm. Content strategy is a topic where you could approach it heavily, of course, from a marketing angle, from an SEO angle, from a campaign angle, et cetera, et cetera. But you could also approach it from a sales angle, basically, where they more talk about, okay, what kind of topics will come up in the demo? What kind of questions does somebody need to answer if he or she is about to close a deal, basically? And if you approach content strategy from that angle, you will very soon find out that at the bottom of the funnel, you have big gaps in your content strategy. So I find that a very inspiring, inspiring angle, to be honest. And I find individuals that come from that sales angle, but do have a content focus, mm -hmm. find a very interesting input most of the days because it's a different perspective on the same topic, basically. Yeah, it's, in many respects, it's kind of, as you were sort of talking earlier, that you need to listen to the theories, but then you have to take the theory and you've got to apply it to your own business. And fundamentally, you know, what you're sort of saying there is that to, to apply almost like a, uh, a messaging framework theory that you'd have in marketing. Now, a messaging framework should underpin all of your communications. Too often marketers think about it, well, this just needs to inform how I put out content and my, my content strategy or my above the line messaging, whatever it is. And they neglect to realize that salespeople are actually one of the most important marketing channels. And to make sure that there is that consistency between what we're saying further up the funnel and what we're saying down the bottom of the funnel is, is so important. Um, well, thank you for indulging that additional question, which um, I appreciate that I, I just slipped in there. But I was was interested because I think it is really important to understand how that um, that information can be used for positive feedback loop. But I do have one final question, which is our house question. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, when was the last time that you saw a piece of marketing? And that can be you know, an advert, a piece of comms it could even be thought leadership um that really made you feel in your guts that moved you on a deep emotional level as well as an intellectual level 
Yeah, so I'm going to go into like the consumer brand space. Um, so for me, it was Dove. So as soon as they started to bring out models that were more representative of, you know, women, um, rather than, you know, the mm. the sort of, you know, the the fashion week sort of traditional model, I just thought that was really brave and a really good step in the right direction of being more diverse and inclusive. Mm -hmm. And that's really that's really stuck with me. And I think that's why I always try and pull that back into my own sort of day to day. It's like, you know, let's not be hierarchical about who can share thought leadership or mm -hmm. their opinions or their ideas um, and really thinking about, you know, where, you know, so, um, you know, surprising thoughts or, or emotional connections might mm. come from. Thank you very, very much for coming onto the podcast. That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.